Hi, everybody, and welcome to Therefore I Geek, episode 149. I'm Andrew. And I'm not wearing a shirt, because I got out of the shower and just said, screw it, tired. You're not wearing a shirt. You're not wearing a shirt. I'm not really wearing pants. So if you put us together, one of us is naked and one of us is fully clothed. Yeah, I ran. A and now 5K that you guys, this... now that you guys can't get that mental image out of your head. <laughs> oh yeah, I ran a 5K this morning, and I'm just like, not not giving a crap. No f's given. Right. None. None. Oh man. Okay. Big day today. Big news day. Sort of. We yeah. got, we're we're kind of catching up. Catching up a little bit. I mean, there's, this was also just kind of a. A crazy week. It definitely was. So we've got a, a bunch of things to talk about. First off, uh, the passing of Vern Troyer. Uh, Vern Troyer. The passing of Dave Barry. No, the passing of Harry Anderson. <laughs> and we'll get to why that confused me in just for a moment. In a moment here, the continuing saga of the crazy Smallville sex cult. Well, oh, that is so insane. Yeah. So insane. And then we're going to talk a little bit more in, in depth and at length, if you will, about the uh, kind of recent update to the documentary King of Kong or the recent news stories in and around that that documentary. Oh, yeah, because we kind of got really absorbed with uh, Stan Lee last week. We did. And, and we didn't get it. This was also breaking right around the time uh, that the Stan Lee stuff was happening. So we spent most of our time on Stan Lee, but we definitely want to double back and cover uh, the Billy Mitchell saga. Oh, which yeah. Which is just fascinating. And then and kind of revisit King of Kong because it, it's a movie worth revisiting. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. No, it's, it's I mean, it's one I know you and I both have really enjoyed, mm -hmm. but I mean, it's it's kind of crazy on on several levels. Yeah, totally. It's just compelling. It's so weird how a bunch of nerds from the 80s who are still playing the games from their 20s are are compelling news today. That just blows my mind that it's the kind of intrigue and the drama and the backstabbing and the conniving and the, sh the shit talking. Yeah, it's just it, too much. It's yeah, just too much. It, it's can't look it's away. impressive. So let's just dig into poor Vern Troyer. Yeah, so obviously Vern Troyer, most famously known for being Mini-Me in the second and third Austin Powers films, uh, passed away at age 49, which is, I mean, that's still fairly young. Although, you know, Troyer is is fairly well known for having uh, some 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 substantial alcohol problems and, and he was that, that leading up to this he had been in the news if i recall for health problems already yeah um yeah you know it's one of those things i don't know if you remember you know especially when like the the reality show craze was really huge they yep. had like a celebrity celebrity big brother basically yeah, and he was on that and my dad because my sister loved big brother so we ended up having to watch that stupid show all the time um my dad just remembered Vern troyer was like standing off his little like cart chair buck naked taking a piss in the corner and then like finishing and then running into like greg brady or wing or which one of the guys who played one of the brady's right but like the best part about that was like he just kind of for, well, while he's standing there pissing he just turned to the guy and he goes i am so wasted and the guy goes and you're naked too <laughs> like my my dad's favorite moments in television like from that era that was also the, the the reality show where like that supermodel and the guy from the the Brady Bunch like hooked up. I think that was the same one. I honestly don't remember. I th I think that, and then they had their own reality show. That craze was so ins. Oh, the, the, the I'm only... actually glad we're past that one. Yeah. See, the only one I don't. Uh, the only one of the, those kind of things I remember is was Flava Flav and that like weird European chick. I thought yes, that was a different one. It but was, was also... but it was also re that one was really funny because it was Flava Flav. And it was also like terrifying. Well, 
Yeah, but like, I mean, you ever watch the Comedy Central roast of Flavor Flav? Yes, I was just about to. Um, God, that was so fucking funny. Bring, I was about actually able to bring that up because I remember Cat Stevens, uh, not Cat Stevens, um, Cat Williams introducing Brigitte Nielsen, and he and he basically starts with our next guest played nine years in the NBA as a power forward for the Boston Celtics, winning three NBA championships. And, oh, shit, that's not Larry Bird. That's Brigitte Nielsen. Nice. <laughs> that, was my, that was my favorite line from that whole thing. I, I, there were just one of them with, like, they were talking about, like, a midget running around with a, a Viking helmet and a giant clock. I can't remember who made that comment, but it was like, that's, that's actually kind of spot on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so unfortunately, Vern Troyer passed. Um, I think closer to your and mine hearts it was the passing of Harry Anderson, who is best known for his role on Night Court, which is what yes. you know him from. And what I originally know him from and where I got confused uh, a few minutes ago here is playing uh, Dave Barry on Dave's World. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also I'll say this much. Anderson is an incredibly especially to me as an incredibly influential comedy magician like probably i mean there have been comedy magicians going all the way back to roy benson in the 50s but anderson was the first one that i think hit mainstream appeal through the comedy club circuit of the 70s and 80s because most comedy magicians prior to that were at like dinner clubs and night and nightclubs and were part of variety acts anderson was the first one to become a star through the comedy club explosion in the late 70s and 80s well and i would and, say and i have his book his, his book wise guy is just fantastic it's kind of his uh biography coming up through the entertainment world and how he developed his act and i still use i still do his he's famous for uh the needle through the arm trick and i i did it last night at a show it's it's one of my favorite bits well and in, i would say in addition to that i mean you're talking about coming up through the the 70s and 80s like that was a really rough time to be trying to do oh, without a doubt stand like it was it was harsh I mean, especially when, I mean, when you look at the guys that were also coming up in there in that time period, mm -hmm. I mean, it's really impressive. Oh, yeah. Um, got guys like um, Letterman, Leno, Jim Carrey. Uh, I, I mean, like, I just I feel like I'm going to miss a few. Robin Williams. Uh, Robin Williams. Um, uh, who's the guy who did uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm? Larry David. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a whole bunch of them that came through. Seinfeld. I, I feel like Seinfeld, yeah. It was all that late 70s, um, early 80s. Because there were some guys who sort of predated it, like a Richard Pryor was kind of already established by that point, or um, a Steve Martin had been all established. Sure. But Anderson came up through that that uh, that larger group that we just mentioned. Uh, yeah, so Harry Anderson, who stars the kind-hearted, zany judge Harry Stone on the long-running NBC sitcom Night Court, was found dead Monday in his home in Asheville, North Carolina at the age of 65. This is from the New York Times on the 16th. Uh, the police confirmed the, the, but they did not specify the cause and said that no foul play was suspected. Uh, he was nominated for three consecutive Emmys from 85 to 87 and Night Court which ran from 84 to 92 as well um, as appearing on shows like Cheers, Cosby Show and The Golden Girls. And of course I, I, was, I best knew him as Harry the Hat, um, the, the grifter and the con man. And, and when he would do... Um, 
kind of one-off comedy specials or one-off magic specials in the 90s, he was the Harry the Hat character, and he was always doing, like, uh, swindles. Um, he was the, uh, one of three children born in 1952 in Newport, Rhode Island, and spent much of his childhood on the move, often performing on the streets for money. I think he, according to his book, if I remember correctly, got his start I mean, his big start, his big kind of big money days were busking at one of the famous piers in San Francisco. It was like Fisherman's War for Pier 39. Um, and it's a, it's a real shame. He, he, he had his own venue in New Orleans that got trashed by Katrina. And he, he just he's just one of those guys who just had to move on. And, and then he moved to North Carolina. For a while, he left Magic behind. And he was just doing comedy. And I don't know if he ever went back to performing Magic before his death. But that's, yeah, it's, it's really sad. Yeah. I was actually gonna say, you know, there is one, there is not really that we're interested in as much, but there's one other noteworthy death this week was Aviche, the DJ, 28. Yeah. So, so here's what's funny. Uh, when I watched um, King of Kong the second time, uh, Baruch was over because he had not seen it. And he was like, and Vichy died. And I, I, I thought that was an opera singer. And no. then he was like, no, it was a 28-year-old DJ who did techno music. And I and I was like, with all due respect, those are three things I do not care at all about. Yeah, he had, well, so he, he had a couple of... Techno of, music or DJs. He had a couple of, of like pop music crossovers that I really liked. Yeah. Okay. Um, Anything I would know? I just probably if you heard it, you'd be like, "Oh yeah, that song." But oh, pro okay, probably. But but probably, but nothing. I would think you would know by name. Okay. So I did see that headline pop up, and I was like, "Well, that's sad." Yeah, it was one, one of them. Hey, brother, um, mm -hmm. uh, wake me up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, good music, but just yeah, not not really. Was this my drugs? Style. Um, it sounds like it was like complications due to like a significant amount of drinking. He actually retired two years ago, um, because, because of health problems. Oh, okay. Um, but a lot of it was, was brought on by like ridiculous amounts of, of drinking. Hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Sex cult. Cause, this cause is fucking so weird. weird. Especially because anytime you hear the word. So the thing about sex cults is you hear about them and you never really believe that at least, at least from my perspective, anyone could actually pull this kind of crap off. Right. And then you, and then people do, but they're like in the wilderness of Oregon. And it's just a kind of like just a bunch of rural folk that get sucked up into this. I have never heard of a, cult like this scientology jokes aside that sucked up two like well i mean well but, but fairly well-known actresses yeah that's what surprises me is that like actually I mean, it's not like if this were sci if they were both the both these ladies turned out to be scientologists like uh, okay this because they got like scientology got their grip on on the hollywood community this cult Nexium, it's like I had never heard of them until we mentioned the other actress a couple weeks ago. Shoot, now it's I forget her name just a second ago. I just had it. So there's Allison Mack oh. and and Kristen right. Couric. Kristen Couric, right? I had not I had not heard of this group until the Kristen Couric story broke. And we mentioned it briefly, but this this surprised me. This is crazy. So this is from the New York Post. Uh, two days ago, April 20th, this Friday, Smallville actress Allison Mack pleads not guilty to sex trafficking. That is a heavy effing charge. Uh, Smallville actress Allison Mack was arrested Friday for her role in the upstate sex cult Nexium, um, where, prosecutor, uh, where prosecutors allege she recruited quote, slaves, unquote, to sleep with the group's leader and held them down while they were branded with his initials. 
the got a got and disheveled Mac 35 appeared in Brooklyn federal court Friday and pleaded not guilty to the sex to the charges of sex trafficking and forced labor a month um, a month after leader Kenneth Rainier I believe it's Rainier uh, was collared for the same charges he was picked up in Mexico I believe uh, Mac was Rainier's direct slave and previously had a sexual relationship with him, but also acted as a master to other slaves who were starved and branded like cattle. Um, do you do you remember what role this girl... You watched Smallville. I've never watched Smallville. Do you remember what role this lady played no, on yeah, Smallville? She, she had a very significant role, especially in the beginning. She played a character named uh, Chloe Sullivan, who was mm -hmm. basically one of one of Clark Kent's like two best friends. Oh, so okay. I mean, looking at the looking at this, she was in 205 episodes over 10 oh, years. Yeah, that show lasted ridiculously long. It did, but I mean, 205 episodes—that's you know the overwhelming majority of a of the series. So let's see how many it has. 217 episodes. She was in 205 mm. of them. Wow. So basically, what she did is she lured female Nexium members into the secret society known as the Vow. This is just—you can't write this shit. No. And like, if you yeah. if you pitched this to me, I throw and, and I were an agent or a, or a producer, I throw you out because this is just too much. Uh, known as the Vow by describing it as a women's empowerment group and control them into handing over collateral like embarrassing photos and statements to gain entry. Prosecutors alleged. Uh, oh, here it is, Max. Smallville co-star Kristen Couric was also a member of Nexium, but ultimately left. And I, we were talking just before I said she escaped, but you're right. It, she just kind of let, walked away. Uh, she said she never witnessed any wrongdoing in the group. And then it was uh, revealed that Mac last year married Battlestar Galactica actress and Canadian national Nikki Klein, who was spotted hiding out in Mexico with Mac and Rainier when authorities tracked the cult leader down last month. I don't I don't know that actress. You watch Battlestar Galactica a lot. Do you know that name? Uh, I don't. I have to, I'm, I'm looking it up. C-L-Y-N-E. Oh, she played the, the little mechanic, it looks like, I oh, think. Okay. Um, the judge declined to release Mac from detention, saying her lawyers failed to offer a sufficient bail package given the seriousness of the charges, and she said she was a potential flight risk because she could just fucking go back to Mexico. Um, what's even yeah. weirder... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, duh. What's even stranger about this uh, is... Oh, her leader was also indicted on, on Friday, by the way, is that another woman, she... Almost, they told the Post, this is from the 21st, uh, headline, How Allison Mack Tried to Lure Me Into Alleged Sex Cult, and basically kind of detailed the, the grooming methods, but she said, quote, I wish I could tell you alarm bells went off, but they really didn't. She was a very sweet girl. And the article goes on to say, the pair met twice in the month after they met, uh, once at an Amsterdam Avenue restaurant and the other at the actress's upside, uh, Upper West Side apartment. The actress's name is uh, Pakistani-born Samaya Shaubit, S-H-O-A-I-B. I'll just call her Samaya. Um, she went on to describe her uh, Mac as frail and gaunt with dark circles under her eyes, clearly sleep-deprived. Uh, she said the conversation veered from feminism to a Nexium-affiliated women's group called JNES, which uh, is it's just letter J, capital N, lowercase ESS, so JNES, which Mac encouraged Samia to join, but her descriptions of the group were always very vague, at least according to the Pakistani-born actress. 
basically she's quoting is her saying quote it's a bunch of women we go on a retreat upstate and we share our experiences and support each other that was a that's just about it so clearly like really 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 disingenuous uh grooming tactics yeah super weird i i think more and more as the court case goes on more and more is going to come out about this and then in about 18 months this will be a netflix documentary that's probably how this is going to plan it yeah then no, I, I could see that no i mean this is this is really bizarre i kind of want to find out like what some of the other smallville cast members think about like like tom welling yeah i yeah it's just, it's just although it, although <laughs> if i were tom welling's manager i would be like you stay the fuck away from this <laughs> i don't care not, i don't I, care who you have to kill or hump to stay away from this you do it yeah have you watched the the netflix documentary wild wild country about the kind of oregon cults in the late 70s and 80s the no. one that like did the bioterrorism attack in in girls hometown no like her her mom lived through it. She her some of her friends got sick when it happened. I haven't watched it either, but it's something I'm gonna have to sit down and, and check out. Hmm, interesting. So, it, it, yeah, it's, it, watch the trailer. It's pretty intense. Okay, let's get to the big story. King of Kong. This I am so fascinated by this. This is so this is so gripping. On like every level. On every level. So were you like me? Were you just you went to work or you came home and it was just your average day and you know you turn your computer on and, and your home screen pops up and it's usually like MSN or something benign. It is for me. And then you see headline at the top of the page, Billy Mitchell stripped of, of King of Kong record. And you were just like at your desk or at your chair. You know, what? What? What is this? So, so I, I didn't out. I didn't quite have that. I mean, because of some of the sites I follow on Facebook, I saw it like uh -huh. while I was at work and was like, is this like, it, did this just like pop up in my newsfeed from like 10 years ago? Like, oh, okay. <laughs> like... Right, right, right. You know, because every so often, like, a, a, new, a, a news post from, like, you know, a month ago will just kind of find its way in and be like, why is that there? Sure. But, like, no, this, this, this was a legit story. So, April 12th, mm -hmm. uh, Twin Galaxies announced that after a slightly more than two-month investigation, uh, they have stripped Billy Mitchell of all of his scores, as well as... Uh, here, I'll just read it. Based on the complete body of evidence presented in this official thread... Uh, official dispute thread twin Ga twin galaxies administrative staff has unanimously decided to remove all of billy mitchell's scores as well as ban him from participating in our competitive leaderboards we mm -hmm. have notified guinness world records of our decision so so this is so for those who don't have the background on this it's we're, we're, we, we will actually work backwards on this but essentially what has happened is the the like i like you just said the decision has come from i have the variety article in front of me but basically mitchell's famous donkey kong score of 1,047,200, which you saw in the documentary of King of Kong. And if you haven't seen that documentary, you have to see it. We're going to talk about it was not achieved on an arcade machine, a requirement for Twin Galaxies and Guinness. And, and again, there's more to that. Uh, we'll talk about, but rather used in emulation software. So there's a, there's a reason for that because you can kind of muck with an emulator. And there's actually, if I'm not mistaken, and you, you might have been seeing this on the Twin Galaxies website, there's a second, separate category for emulator high scores, is there not? I, I, that's what I've heard. Uh, not at least from what I can see for Donkey Kong. Okay. So for, just picking some statements out of the, uh, out of the article, quote, the rules for submitting scores for the original Donkey Kong 
competitive leaderboards requires the use of an original arcade hardware only. The use of MAME, which he is accused of using, or any other emulator software, excuse, actually, actually back up, the use of MAME or any other emulator software for submissions to that leaderboard is strictly forbidden. So, and the reason why is using emulator software means a player could cheat in any number of potentially undetectable ways. And as you said earlier, what had happened is Jerry Young filed a dispute in February. The, the group meticulously tested and investigated the dispute the case, assert uh, case assertions, as well as a number of relevant contingent factors. They have also at least two different third parties conducted their own explorations and came to identical conclusions. And I believe, I don't see this here. I saw it somewhere else and I don't have it in front of me. One of them was a dude that Billy Mitchell hired. So even his own dude. Yeah, so that's actually in the Variety article. It says, it most notable, the third party, Carlos... Pinerio, that Billy engaged mm -hmm. to help examine the dispute case claims on his behalf, utilizing whatever original equipment Billy could provide, whose final finding was consistent with Twin Galaxies' investigation and others. Yeah, I see. That's oh yes, now I see it. Now I see it. it's in the um, the statement. So basically, what's happened is he had three scores that he sent in via. Oh, actually, two of them were sent in via tape, and one of them is really, really shady. But there is the King of Kong tape, which is the what we'll just call the, the 1047 score. Then there's the Mortgage Broker score, which is 1050. And they were historically used by Twins Galaxies to substantiate those scores and place them in the database. Uh, were not produced by the direct feed output of an original, unmodified Donkey Kong arcade machine. And they go on to say uh, one of the other parts of their specific findings, the 1062 Boomer score, Donkey Kong performance, does not have enough of a body of direct evidence for the Twin Galaxies to feel comfortable. And we're going to talk about that later. And then here's what I found interesting in, in the Twin Galaxies statement, and, uh, and then we'll move on from this. To definitively conclude that MAME was used, Twin Galaxies would need to comprehensively rule out the possibility of all other methods that could produce what was seen on the tapes. This would mean testing all other emulators other than MAME across all platforms, and they go on to say this kind of testing is beyond the scope of the disputed case. But what they have asserted beyond at least a, a doubt in their mind is that some type of emulator was used. And that's basically what's brought him down. Right. I mean, what they say, what they actually go on to say in the next paragraph is from Twin Galaxy's standpoint, the only important thing is to know whether or not the score performances mm -hmm. are from an unmodified original DK arcade PCB as per the competitive rules. Yep. And they can, yes. they can prove that part beyond mm -hmm. a reasonable doubt. Yep. And it's actually really interesting how they actually proved it. Because if you go and you watch King of Kong, especially for the for the the first million million point score, mm -hmm. the tape is sketchy as fuck. Super fucking sketchy. So do, uh, do you want to just but, dig into the movie real quick, well, or do you want to do a little bit of background? We can dig in the movie uh, just a second, but let me. I want to make okay. the point. Is, okay. is how the guy actually, like, what the actual dispute was. And basically what mm -hmm. he says is the transition from board to board, basically from level to level, isn't right. Mm -hmm. Right. That basically the arcade cabinet and the, the board, the actual, like, computer board transitions one way, and the emulator does it slightly differently. Correct. And it's that and difference that allowed them to... to 
mesh these up. So for a good reference for those listening, go on YouTube and find Apollo uh, user Apollo Legend. He has a video from February when all this first started to churn because we're reading articles from a couple about 10 days ago uh, that, that and then there's another couple articles because Mitchell has responded since. But they actually show a side by side comparison of the board's um, loading. And you can see, so when you watch them, it's not 100% clear because he compares like what MAME looks like, what the Donkey Kong arcade looks like, and then what the level loading in Mitchell's um, score, in Mitchell's tape, particularly the, uh, the, the million zero point, uh, the, the 1.05 million score. And there's something wonky about both the main. It's obviously the main and Mitchell's score are different from the arcade loading screen. That said, the Billy's score and the main loading screen are not identical either. So I can see why Twin Galaxies said, you know, we can't definitely prove that it was used on MAME, but it is super obvious it is not on an arcade machine. And you right. can just watch the videos. If you kind of freeze them, you can see little differences between all three of the loading screens. But the important one, Mitchell's loading screen looks nothing like the arcade machine, like nothing. Yeah. And that and that basically is what began the, the ball rolling on this. Um, which, and again, a little bit of backstory on Mitchell is that basically he had set the first... He had set up, this guy's like a living legend among classing arcade gamers. Like that, that shouldn't go understated is that in the early eighties, when arcades were becoming a really big deal and they weren't like games of today, where basically you're playing these boards, these levels, and your goal isn't so much to beat the game as it is to just get the highest score. And it should be pointed out. You can't beat Donkey Kong. Right. You just die. (laughs) At one point, rescue the princess. At one point, Mitchell is Mitchell held five world records, mm-hmm. and he is especially for a long for I mean up until 2006 when this whole King of Kong thing started going down, he held the world record on Donkey Kong until that point, right. and then and he's also one of the few people to ever get a perfect play a perfect gaming Pac Man, which mm-hmm. I know you you know from having read uh, Ready Player One. Ready Player One, right? They're, very they're, important. Not just that. There's also like there's more to it than just I got everything and right. It's, the end of that game is very yeah. The end of that game is very weird. Uh, speaking of Ready Player One, I want to ask you. I don't remember. Is Mitchell's name mentioned in Ready Player One? Not to my knowledge. I don't recall I, him being mentioned. Okay, I was just really curious. That'd be really fascinating if it were. It, not, not, it wouldn't change anything. Just an extra extra wrinkle. And yeah, going back, just briefly going over the King of Kong. Since you you already had an episode with Tracy about it, I won't I won't want to rehash the whole film. And I when I watched it again this weekend, I just kind of took little notes on knowing what we know now and rewatching that film. And and you just said like how shady it was. It it feels even shadier now watching it again. Which which is saying something because th- there are several like problems, especially with with William Day. Yeah. And and Walter Walter. Oh, I'm sorry, Walter Day and running. Tw- Twin Galaxy. So Walter Day was the orig- was the uh, founder and uh, and 
operator for a long time of Twin Galaxies Arcade, which became the the scorekeeper for all these world records, officially recognized by the Guinness Book of World Records. And that happens in the film. It should be pointed out that they had been kind of doing it since the 80s as kind of an independent credentialer. Right. And then while the documentary is going on, Guinness picks, you know, basically taps them as their scorekeeper. So, like, they have a ton of clout now. Right. And what's kind of interesting is there's no independent verification. It's just them. Not just that. Some of the things you have to look at is, like, Billy Mitchell is is also one of the adjudicators. Yes, one of the referees. One of the referees. Mitchell does does basically promotional work for Twin Galaxies. Like, they are heavily invested in Mitchell maintaining the world record. Yeah, and I actually have a couple quotes. I mean, a paraphrase is I, I didn't I wasn't able to get the quote directly, but from the movie, it's it's Walter Day will say Twin Galaxies promotes Billy. He says something almost to that effect yep. that that Billy is is the man. And, and that if and he says also something along the lines of that movie in the movie that, you know, as Billy is successful, so is Twin Galaxies. So even Walter, you could see, felt that, you know, as Billy, you know, Bill, his success is tied to Billy's, basically. Yeah, he felt felt in in, in some way, shape, or form beholden to, to Billy Mitchell. The other thing I want to point out on that one is kind of the the, the, fir- the original kind of drama of, of the film is that mm-hmm. um, Steve Wiebe, you know, submits a, a video... Yes. For his original high score. Mm-hmm. And then it's basically called into question. And Billy Mitchell is one of the people who physically made the call to go send guys over to go look at Weeby's cabinet. Yes. And not only that, he sent allies of his. Uh, right. One of them was Brian Koo and then Perry Rogers, who we don't really see much in that film. No. But also the head the head ref is a, a Robert Mirzak, who also seems like he's in Billy's corner. Very pocket. much so. So, as you mentioned, and you mentioned, I think it says in the documentary that Billy is also reviewing the tape. So there's like a huge conflict of interest. Yeah. Gigantic. Well, and then conflict of interest. And then for for Steve Weeby's first tape, mm-hmm. basically they can't find anything wrong with his machine. Oh, before you said they broke into the man's house essentially. Yes. The homeowner said, "Don't come into my house. Wait for my husband they to fin- get home. Wait for my husband to come home." They finagle an elderly woman to uh, the, the 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 wife's mom. Right. So basically, Weeby's mother-in-law. They somehow talk their way past her, which. I don't even want to know how that conversation went down. I don't need to. It was shady. And then dismantle the man's private property. Right. And I was amazed, just as a side note, and we'll get back to your point, I'm I'm sorry, is that when Koo, later in the film, when when Weeby goes to set his scores in in person, that like Brian Koo and the other guys who went into his home come up to him like nothing's wrong. Right. I would be in these dudes' face like, yo, you were the dude who blasted past my mom, my mother-in-law, and opened up my machine. Why are you this close to me right now? I mean, to be be fair, like, you know, Steve Weeby appears like he didn't call the cops or anything. I'd be calling the cops about 10 minutes after I curb stomped them. Yeah, I'd be be apoplectic. But I imagine that, like, it should be said that these guys not only lack social cues, but also seem to just be, I don't want to say timid, but just not the confrontational type. Certainly not. Yeah. So um, I'm sorry, you, I'm sorry, continue. What I was going to say, oh yeah, but 
so they found they couldn't find anything really wrong with his machine. Not really. Mm-hmm. You know, they kind of they right. kind of mumbled about something gummy, something possibly, but yeah. that, n- nothing. I love that like the the right goo on the right chip on the right side of the right board. You know, it's like right. what are you talking about? Shut up. Right. Basically, the guy talks in, entirely in hypotheticals, but right. they they rejected his submission based on the fact that he got the board from someone basically they don't like who, who has beef with billy right i can't remember the guy's last name his first name is roy oh it's um roy schilt roy schilt it's roy schilt and and they call it they have the audacity to call weeby's board a pretender board like that's how far they went right and yeah and like even when they're like congratulating him on other things you know like oh man you you know you know you got past all this other stuff it's like he didn't get past anything like Mm. you guys had no proof and rejected his score because he blew billy mitchell's score out of the fucking water i mean like yeah there was a line in the movie i wrote it down where a guy yeah i don't it wasn't anyone kind of mentioned or named in the documentary but after he sets the the ninety five thousand uh nine excuse me the nine hundred and eighty five hundred uh nine hundred and eighty five thousand score Someone comes up to him and says, you really redeemed yourself. He didn't need to be redeemed, you asshole. He didn't need to be redeemed. Well, not you just guys the, to be that, redeemed. The, the 985,000 score, that was lower than his original submitted score. Like Billy, Billy's Correct. score was at what, 100 and, or sorry, 874? Yeah, Billy, I have it right here. Eight, 874K. Right. Which is interesting. I would just point Steve, this out. Steve so Weeby's Steve original, self- Steve's original score was over a million. Right. So, I mean, but he just nuked. Both times. Yeah. Both times. But here's what's funny is, if, I don't know if you noticed this, in the, in the beginning of the film, Billy, when they do the the time, the the, the photos of, of um when they take the time photo spread. Yes. They have Billy next to like some other, I think, centipede or something, and Steve Saunders or Sanders, the lawyer who's also Billy's friend. Yes. Uh, has a Donkey Kong score. Did you see the Donkey Kong score? Like six hundred thousand. It was three million. Oh. It's well, so three million. So if you heard about in the Time magazine, right? But if you heard about the, the how the two of them became friends, is basically like yes, it's mentioned in it, it, that one. That, that actually is kind of funny because Billy Mitchell called him on his shit and then schooled the crap out of him, and then Steve basically okay, yeah, I made the numbers up. Right. Although but, he does but have it wasn't even sc- close to believable. At least no at, one's, Yeah. At least at the million. time. At least at the time, Steve Sanders had the the time of the documentary had the record um, for joust. Yes, you see that at when they do the the Hollywood the Hollywood Florida segment. But what's what's really interesting about the film is that throughout the course of the film, Billy is constantly mentioning that to be truly recognized, you have to show up and play. And he never ever shows up at not during the course of the documentary and i don't think hereafter is ever documented as playing in public and then they ask his wife have you ever seen him compete and she says never now i don't know how long they've been married but never yeah although so like never i, I think they ask her if she if, if, if they've ever if he's ever if they if she has ever seen him play i, mean, I don't maybe, maybe compete now i don't remember i think it's compete and she goes Never, never. So, so at least, at least when King of Kong was recorded, it, it is I think worth noting that like some of some of Billy's responses, which are pretty like bizarre at the time, like mm-hmm. at, towards the end, he says, "I, I, I need." I don't really have a whole lot of information on the th- what's going on. Like right. he hadn't been playing in over a year, mm-hmm. so like they basically just like showed up at his restaurant trying to interview him, and he's like, "I don't, 
I don't know what you guys are fucking talking about. Right. Like, and then his lack of social skills just made him look that much more like. Uh, so someone described him as like the greatest, like unintentional villain in history. Yeah, I've heard and, that before. A villain who doesn't know he's a villain. Yeah, I can totally get behind that. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, he really does come across as just a spectacular villain. But like, just just so some of the, some of that is definitely due to the editing and the fact that they kind of like ambushed him yeah and, and it's and, and obviously that the, the, you can see the the interviews jump around from time period yeah from time period to time period um what's also interesting is i don't know if you noticed this the sequence and no one's harped on it and maybe i'm making a mountain out of a molehill here but do you remember the sequence where he gives the tape the infamous the 1047 tape to the old lady who's going to New Hampshire and he gives her the tape and then he turns to the camera and he says this is just for fun but when I want to do an actual score I'll do it in person and I always wondered having rewatched since I have always wondered but now having rewatched it I really wonder what if he if that was a Freudian slip or he meant something different or he never intended that score to get submitted because later on in the film Walter is talking to him on the phone and he says so it's my understanding you this wasn't to be submitted and then there's some editing and he go and walter says oh i think this is an acceptable score yeah no i definitely it's I remember super, that super weird i just i i haven't seen anyone more knowledgeable about this dissect that interaction or that segment of the film and explain it because yep. you know editing and time constraints but that's a strange statement he goes when i want to do an actual score right what what does that mean i, I just wish i knew what that meant yeah no it, it's all pretty I, I mean the documentary in and of itself is just absolutely fascinating yeah but you can't take your eyes off it, it's, no. a, it's 90 minutes and it blows right by yeah um so 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 that sets the whole thing up so now the score that billy submitted during the film and then i think the second score the, the real estate or mortgage broker score hat was submitted right when the film premiered like right right when the film premiered he submitted it so it was almost like he was stepping on it because at the end of the film steve shows him shows a, a video of himself getting like a million 49 or a one million 49,000 points and then soon after right around the film premieres he submits another score and then he's got another one that no one saw it gets really shady and that takes us to today where now he billy is challenging the ruling and it's like really yeah i mean it, it, it again i mean the first tape here we're talking about from t- 12 years ago mm-hmm. i mean it, it's it's weird enough that it's coming back right now mm-hmm. it's even weirder that like mitchell is still trying to fight and kind of gives a shit especially yeah. because the score in question although he is the first he was the first million point score that score currently was would have been 13th on the the donkey kong leaderboard right it's been it's been blown away yeah and and steve weeby has been blown away too right yeah, i mean he would have been he would have been just behind steve weeby in 12th place mm-hmm. i'm sorry in 13th place weeby's at, at 12th I think, well, also, I think he's fighting it because they've also banned all his other scores, like all of them, even possibly some legit ones. But yeah, well, like, was... like the Pac-Man perfect, perfect game. That one, I don't quite understand why they're they're fighting him right. on. That, that just I feel like that's something the NCAA set a precedent for is that, you know, when you get banned, you just you lose everything sometime or you get punished. You lose more than what you cheated on. But. I guess to, to speculate, and I and I wrote I wrote this in my notes that his identity was so ra- yeah I have it actually in a bullet point that his identity was so wrapped up in this that I don't know if he could let it go. You know what I mean? It's just it's just 
show him and he's released a statement you can watch it on youtube it's called billy mitchell's statement that he's gonna have another investigation and and have and and he feels he's gonna be vindicated i, I when this when this hat when that gets concluded i well, i'll be right on top of that one yeah yeah so outside outside of billy there are seven other perfect games of pac-man mm. and i'm i'm certain billy was the first Yes, by a I fairly think. substantial margin. Yeah, he did it in '99, right? So that the current the current like number one is in '99. I think I think he was in like like a couple of years before that. I thought it was '99 in the documentary. I'll have to go back and look. Do I? I don't have that in my notes. No, I don't have that in my notes. Anyway, yeah, but that's still. I mean, yeah. It, it's just it's just super weird and then yeah, i think we covered walter day leaving did you find it ironic in the movie that the song that walter sings is something called like three lies i thought it was three lives lying? but but is it lies i thought it was lies it could be i mean it's not like he particularly you know no 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 you're right you could you could completely be right i thought it was lie i mean i probably just pounced on it because i thought he said lie or never lie but yeah either way is super super bizarre but it's just it's so fascinating what do you think what do you where do you think this goes next where do you think what do you think happens next with all this you know i i don't necessarily know i mean i i think weeby's kind of i'm sorry not weeby um mitchell's really kind of done here yeah yeah i agree i think he's totally he's now he's just becoming a sideshow i mean he was always kind of a sideshow to begin with even in that community it was weird because he was sure 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 but like yeah i mean you know his scores are so far removed now, mm-hmm. like from from the top tier, that mm-hmm. you know there really isn't a whole lot going for him on that. So I, I don't I don't expect a whole lot a whole lot to come out of it at this point. I mean, other than you know, I, to be honest, no, none of us would even care if it weren't for the King of Kong, Kong documentary. This is true. I mean, that's what makes me care because that that documentary was so you know so important. I I wonder what prompted Jeremy Young to, to even do that. It was kind of like I would not be surprised well, do- if it were King of Kong. Maybe yeah. I mean, but to, to for it to, to, I mean, I would believe that to be the case. I I have a feeling that the reason why they were that Twin Galaxies was so kind of on the ball on this one is that because Walter Day, as we talked about uh, in the, from the documentary, he hasn't been a part of this since. 2010 so i imagine the new ownership the new sheriff in town kind of the conflicts of interest have been scrubbed and he yeah. really can't pull his shit like he got he used to well so if you i mean if you look at the um, like some of the twin galaxies posts and stuff there apparently mm-hmm. have has been a a scrubbing of these scoreboards for the last like four years since the most recent ownership change mm-hmm. um so this this seems to be the most high profile but it looks like there's been a, a number of these like reviews especially of old stuff yeah the and, last and twin galaxy change... twin galaxies basically says hey we're really committed to like going back and making sure these were adjudicated fairly Right, right. And apparently it's a guy named Jace Hall is now the guy in charge. And as of at least this this article from I don't have the art. Uh, I don't have any, but it's a video game record cure. Uh, curator Twin Galaxies comes under new management after like almost disappearing from the known universe. And this is March 30th, 2014. So that's that's basically when it's st- I guess when it started. That's probably when the, the scrubbing started. Yeah, it sounds like somewhere around there. Yep. And I mean, looking at the, the Twin Galaxies website and some of their stuff, it, it seems like the fan base, like the, the forums and, and the people actually involved at Twin Galaxies are really pretty supportive of, of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, a lot of times you get something like this happen and then, you know, people get all up in arms and everybody's like, seems to be 
seems to be to me that everyone thinks this is a, this is a good thing. They get like factional and sectarian, and they pick sides and they start. Yeah, but I mean, at least at least what seems to be coming across is not so not is really not all that factional and sectarian. Like it seems like no, not right now. Yeah, like the true. Billy Mitchell faction has basically kind of been expunged mm-hmm. with 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 Day leaving and and some of the other folks leaving. Mm-hmm. So I wonder. See, what I'm more curious about is to see if a guy like Steve Sanders comes out and like someone close to Mitchell flips sides. That's what I'm, I'm most curious to see. That's the, and I think it, my guess would be is it would be Sanders because there was a video up. I think it's in the same video from Apollo legend where Mitchell is explaining that he set this score and broke this score. And if you look to the left of the screen, you see Sanders standing there near him. And that's what I'm more curious about. If someone close to Mitchell comes out and basically says, Yeah, this never happened. Right. That's that's that that would do that that I feel like would be the final nail in the coffin. And if Billy's pushing this to try and clear his name and like you said it's really strange. Why does he have to do that? I mean it's one of these things that always blows my mind is the guy in his community is already a legend. Right. Why would he have? Why would he have to lie? You're, you're, his accomplishments, at least as we assume, as, as they are fairly the, the fairly achieved accomplishments, are truly impressive in and of themselves. Yeah. And why? Why would he? If if he faked this, why go that far? And why Donkey Kong? And why? Yeah. He just like you said, he's just not a good ambassador for the. I almost said sport, but I don't know what other word to use. Community. Community. Yeah, it's better. Yeah, man. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, it's this is this has been fun. I've just I was absorbed in this for like the last week. Yeah, no, and it's, I, it's definitely been for... definitely been interesting. So, what have you been into other than other than this? Uh, nothing really <laughs> exciting. But watch, try to wrap up BoJack Horseman. I, I really enjoyed that show. Um, watched a little bit of the Preacher TV show. Uh, I don't know if you. I'm just not into it. Just. I don't know. It's just something about it. I'm just not into it. And just watching a couple comedy specials. No new. I haven't started up a new book because I haven't finished the ones I bought last week. So other than that, it's just been a lot of running and boxing lessons. That's really been about it. Nice. Yep. It's been good. Uh, so I have been listening more to the uh, the Console Wars book that I was talking about last week. Ah, uh, yes. Which, uh, and they've gotten to the Super Mario Brothers movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and they... They very in very heavy detail describe the uh, developmental hell it went through, and if nothing else, like you need to either listen to this part or read it or whatever. But I mean, we, we talk about developmental hell for for movies, and this one is like staggering. And it, it's not one of those movies that went through like developmental hell for like twenty years. This was over like three years, and I lost track of the number of writing teams they had. Oh God, that's never a good sign. But it was somewhere upwards of eight to ten. Some some that's of which. Amazing. Some of which had had radically different ideas, and they kept changing based on the changes in directors. I think it went through like five or six directors. Um, yeah, it was it was stunning. I'm I'm at the part where basically they took Miyamoto to go watch it, <laughs> and and basically Miyamoto's response was, you know, I mean, it's very stereotypically Japanese, but basically his response was something to the fact of that he believed that people had enough cognitive dissonance that they could separate his his Mario video game from this pile of shit. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it did, but like, mm-hmm. cause, I mean, I remember seeing that movie at like somewhere between like age seven or eight. Mm-hmm. And even then I knew it was awful. And, it, and it, it also just reminds me of the the interview with Bob Hotchkiss 
I think I think the UK paper did, and they basically asked like, you know, do you regret doing any? Do you regret anything? And he said Super Mario Brothers. And then mm-hmm. like the next question was like, is there if if you could change one thing in your career, what would it be? That I wouldn't do Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> and then there was a third question that was something to the same the same effect. It was like, God damn, he really hated that movie. <laughs> um, he and John Leguizamo apparently just like drank ridiculously during filming. Oh God. Like, there's a point where Leguizamo actually drove a car into Hotchkiss on accident because he was drunk. Oh, um, requiring him to have a cast that you can apparently see in some in some sequences. Hmm. Yeah, it's... it's And, like, the talent they had originally signed on for this at various times. Like, Dustin Hoffman was interested. They hmm. made an offer, and Tom Hanks accepted, and then they withdrew the offer. Because hmm. uh, they didn't think Tom Hanks could do, could do serious. Oh, yeah, back then, he was no more as a comedic actor, right? Yes, however, the next two films he did... Were like were, Philadelphia... Well, it was and... Sleepless in Seattle and League of Their Own. Oh, yeah, 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 those the, were great. Those two, and then he went on to do Philadelphia and Forrest Gump and won two, right. two won basically back-to-back two Academy awesome. Awards for, yep. his, for his films. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure Nintendo could suck it on that one. Yep. Uh, but yeah, it's really interesting, especially getting to the parts now where they're talking about, like, you know, we got, we've gotten through, like, the Super Nintendo and the Genesis, and they're trying to move on to, like, the next phase. So, like, mm-hmm. you're looking at, like, the Sega Saturn or the Sega... Sega CD kind of stuff, and you're going, oh, this is when things went bad for Sega. Like, things went really well for Sega for a long time, and this is I'm just waiting for them to hit the brick wall. Oh my god, this would be good. Um, That would be good. That and uh, Becky and I have been watching more Lost in Space. Um, How is that? A lot of it's really good, but, like, my biggest beef with it is the Dr. Smith character, Mm -hmm. whom, I I have no issue with the actress or the fact that they made Dr. Smith a woman, Mm -hmm. but, like, everyone believes everything Dr. Smith says and doesn't believe everyone else. <laughs> it's like nobody's that persuasive. No, right. nobody is. Like, like you don't believe your own family members, but you believe this perfect stranger you literally know nothing about. Did um, you ever watch the original series? Did you Did you watch it? Oh yeah, like Sci Fi Channel, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, super I campy, remember, super fun. Yeah, super fun. But I remember Doctor Smith being like he wasn't really like an evil. He was evil character. He was just smarmy, smarmy, and kind of out for his own skin. Yeah. And I feel like the I remember the movie Lost in Space made him like a straight up villain. Yeah, although I kind of like I kind of like that. They... Um, no, this one is this one is more. It's like out for out for themselves, but certainly more of a villain. Uh, okay. Um, and then we also started watching L.A. to Vegas. Oh, yes, we watched some of that. So the Dylan McDermott vehicle where he's the pilot. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's stupid funny. It is really funny. It's legit funny. Yeah, we, we have really been enjoying that, especially like kind of the, like the side cast of characters. The pa- the, yeah, the past. The side. The, the you know it's a great show when you when the supporting cast is really setting it on fire. Yeah, it's it's the the Russian, the Russian mm-hmm. gambler, the stripper and the, She's uh, my favorite. the, the British. Uh, of course, the stripper's your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> uh and then the yeah the british the british professor yeah those are all just that, that show's great uh so that's yeah it's all about all i've been into so and packing awesome. packing so many boxes i've stripped like almost everything off the walls of my office which is why you may or may not hear an echo on my side because it's kind of like you know, <laughs> bare, bare walls all right folks if you like what we do make sure you head over to thereforegeek.com you check out our podcast and our blog posts you can find us on facebook instagram and twitter and you can find this podcast on itunes soundcloud youtube and stitcher <laughs> so once again i'm andrew bye dude and you've been listening to therefore a geek bye